You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week number five of None Like Him. Today's teaching focuses on the truth that God is eternal. And before we dive into this week's attribute, I just want to kind of follow up to where we ended last week. If you find yourself in a season of intense need, please allow yourself to fall at the feet of Jesus and to be carried by him. We as women can get entangled in that trap of thinking that we can do it all, and we can do it all on our own. But please do not see the need for complete dependence on Jesus as a weakness. Rather, view it as the precious, intimate relationship that you were designed to have with him. We were designed to be dependent and needy on him. Um, So cherish being carried by him, upheld by him, even if it is because you just cannot stand or walk on your own. And also realize that God created us to be in relationship with one another. Just as I shared how God met my need during that difficult time through my sweet friend Dana, reach out to a friend, allow her to bless you. Don't struggle through on your own. So please pray with me and then we'll get started on eternal. Oh Lord God, we do thank you and praise you that in your absolute wisdom you designed us to be needy, to be dependent on you because you are the self-sufficient one. And Father God, we thank you for that, and we thank you as we looked at this week that you are eternal, everlasting, never-ending. So Lord God, please, through your Spirit, speak to our hearts now, that you would meet our needs, that you would open our eyes to what our needs might be, that you would just give us a greater understanding of who you are, that we might be more transformed to look like you every day and be a witness to the world around us. We thank you, Jesus, for loving us. We thank you for all of your attributes. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this week we looked at God as eternal, the God of infinite days. And I found several definitions for eternal. Lasting or existing forever, without end or beginning, everlasting, never-ending, perpetual, undying, ceaseless, infinite duration, and endless. Some of this you might think kind of overlaps a little bit with the first study we did on infinite, and and it does in some ways, but that's okay. Um, A.W. Tozer identified this attribute as one that people all believe, but without sufficient clarity. He went on further to claim that if the whole church would see this truth accurately, it would elevate the spiritual level of the church significantly. And I, as I read that quote, I thought, you know what, that could be true of every attribute that we study of God, right? If we understood it more clearly, it would elevate the church. Augustine defined eternal as God was never young and never old, which is a clear distinction from us created beings. Obviously, we were once young, and obviously, we are getting older. Tozer states that in being eternal, God has no past and no future. He has no beginning. He never began to be. God was, as a nod to last week's lesson, self-sufficient even in his existence itself. Let me read some additional thoughts that Tozer has on this. God never began to be. I want you to kick that word began around a little bit in your mind and think about it. 
In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, Genesis 1.1. But God himself never began to be. Began is a word that doesn't affect God at all. God didn't begin to be. God was. God didn't start out from somewhere. God just is. There never was a time when God was not. No one said, let God be. You looked at Psalm 90 in your homework, and verses 1 through 2 say, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The mountains were considered to be one of the most ancient parts of creation, Deuteronomy 33.15 refers to the ancient mountains and the everlasting hills. Habakkuk 3.6 talks about the eternal mountains and the everlasting hills. The writer of this psalm knew the impact of highlighting that even before the mountains were created, you are God. And as for the phrase from everlasting to everlasting, one commentary I read said that the meaning of that is from duration stretching backwards with no limit to duration stretching forward with no limit. He is God. Isaiah 57:15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. What strikes me about this verse, God inhabits eternity. But what else does he inhabit? He inhabits us. He dwells among us. Exodus 29, 45, I will dwell among the sons of Israel. And we see that concept throughout the Old Testament. There's verses, I'm not going to read them all, in Leviticus and Numbers and 1 Kings and several in Ezekiel where God says, I will dwell among my people. I'm going to read a couple verses from the Bible. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So the fact that once we are redeemed, we become the temple of the living God, that he inhabits eternity, and yet he dwells among us, indwells us through his spirit. We, as, we teach our children, you know, Jesus now lives in your heart, and I think we as adults need to be reminded of that. Here is where I could add my weekly comment that this should drive us to our knees in awe and gratitude. Isaiah 9-6 is a very familiar verse where it talks about, For unto you a child will be born, a son will be given. And then it lists the names that he will have. And one of the names is Eternal Father. As we emphasized last week, whatever attribute is true of God is also true of Jesus. There in Isaiah it was foretold that he would be the eternal father. So God inhabits eternity. Time cannot apply to God. He is not limited by time. He is never in a hurry. He is never early. He is never late. God lives in an eternal now. Yet another way that the creator is so unlike the created. 
we tend to be completely governed by time, always on a schedule, often in a hurry, our lives in many ways dictated by the clock. If we went back and back and back in time, prior to 9-11, prior to World War I and II, prior to the Great Depression, the Civil War, the Revolutionary War, and even going back further, prior to the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus, prior to the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, prior to the Garden of Eden, there is God. I don't think that most Christians struggle to believe that God is eternal. We may actually, truthfully, if we're honest with ourselves, struggle with some of his other attributes. Is he really all-knowing? Is he really all-powerful? Is he truly sovereign? But I think we seem to accept at face value, yes, God is eternal. Always was, always was, always will be. But I'm not sure that we actually grasp what that really means, what the impact of that is. I want to reference many verses that describe the ways God is eternal. Yes, he is eternal in his existence itself. He always was, he always will be. But because the Lord never changes, that means he is eternal in all his attributes. Again, a bit of an overlap when we talked about infinite. But I'm hoping these verses will give some weight and clarity to the concept of his eternality. I will try to read the references slowly. I tend to kind of talk fast. But I will try to read the references slowly so that you can write them down. And I am purposely not going to actually read the verse to you. I'm just going to give the specific way that he's eternal. This is partly for the sake of time, but more so because I encourage you to look these up on your own. And in one sitting, so that you are overwhelmed by what it really means that God is eternal. Some verses are from the Old Testament, some from the New Testament. Isaiah 55, 3. He will make an everlasting covenant with you. Psalm 119, 142. Everlasting righteousness. Psalm 145, 13. And then again in 2 Peter 1, 11. Everlasting kingdom. Psalm 100, verse 5. His love endures forever. That means for you. Jeremiah 31, 3, he has loved us with an everlasting love. Isaiah 9, 6, which I already read, referring to Jesus, eternal Father. Deuteronomy 33, 27, eternal dwelling place. And we are underneath the everlasting arms. You'll notice some of these verses are how God is eternal, and some of these verses are what we receive because he's eternal. Isaiah 56, 5, he gives us, his chosen child, an eternal name. Isaiah 51, 11, and he gives us, the ones he has ransomed, everlasting joy. Romans 1, 20, his eternal power. Ephesians 3, 10 through 11, his eternal purpose in Christ Jesus. John 3.16, a verse you all know, eternal life. 2 Thessalonians 2.16, he has given us eternal comfort. Hebrews 5.9, Jesus, the source of eternal salvation. Hebrews 9.15, we may receive an eternal inheritance. 1 Peter 5.10, 
God's eternal glory in Christ Jesus. It is amazing, these gifts. And because God is eternal, he can bless us with eternal gifts. In summing these up, I'm now going to substitute with one of the synonyms that I gave you in the beginning. I'm going to substitute the eternal or everlasting. I'm not going to read through the whole list, but I think it helps almost to pack more of a punch, so to speak, and helps us to understand, wow, what this means, his being eternal. I hope it resonates loudly with you that his love is perpetual. His purpose is for an infinite duration. His covenant is never-ending. His comfort is endless. His power is ceaseless. In him, our inheritance is without end. His righteousness is undying. His kingdom will last forever. His glory is everlasting. Can we have any other response than awe and gratitude? to our eternal Father. So clearly from these verses, we see the many ways that God is eternal and the various eternal benefits that we therefore receive. But why else does it matter to us that God is eternal? What are the implications? I think there's several. Since God lives outside of time, he sees the entire picture at once. Past, present, future all of life. We see the past and we see the here and now, but not even fully and not always clearly. Only from our very limited perspective, limited view, which is often distorted or biased. Ecclesiastes 3.15 says, that which is has been already, and that which will be has already been, for God seeks what has passed by. I've heard this illustration before, and probably many of you have also, that if you were to take a beautiful tapestry or any type of embroidered work, and if it was hanging from the ceiling, if we looked at it from the bottom, from our perspective, we see a bunch of dangling threads. We see some colors. We can't really tell what all the shapes are. It looks a little bit confusing. It looks a little bit chaotic. It looks unfinished. And we have no idea what the image truly is. God is looking down on that tapestry from above. He sees the entire finished product. He sees the beautiful image that he is making our life become. Or think about a corn maze, appropriate example for this time of year. So when you're wandering aimlessly through a corn maze, or if you've never done it, you can at least, I'm sure, imagine it, frustrated that you cannot find a simple path or a logical way out. It certainly does not seem to be in any logical order or clear design. You would most likely not be able to identify or even imagine that it's actually in a very well laid out, orchestrated plan. And then you see the photograph that was taken from the drone. I remember when I first moved here and I saw in the paper um, the corn maze at Oregon Dairy. And I don't remember what it was. I think it was like a Bible verse or something in this intricate design. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's what that corn maze actually is? This beautiful, intricate design, so well laid out. But yet when we're stumbling through it from our perspective, it is just chaotic 
and confusing. We don't understand what the image is. God being eternal sees it all from beginning to end. We need to stop trusting our limited view, which leads us to panic at the seemingly senseless and chaotic image, and we need to trust God to carry out and complete the beautiful scene that he already knows and envisions and has planned. We can trust the one who sees it. If the guy up in the drone, well, I guess maybe that doesn't make sense. I don't know. I, people aren't in drones, right? I'm not quite sure how that works. But anyway, if someone were in a drone and he was giving you directions like, turn to the right, turn to the left, and if you're like, no, no, that doesn't make sense to me, it's like he sees it. He knows what the design is. He knows how to get you through, and yet we're insisting on figuring out on our own and stumbling. Jeremiah 29.11 tells us that he knows the plans he has for us, for our hope and our future. Another implication, because God is eternal, he has already lived all of our tomorrows, so we do not have to fear the future Not only do we not have to stumble through trying to figure it out, we don't have to fear it. His word assures us that he goes before us, that we will not be tempted more than we can bear, that he is always with us. If I were to make these promises to you, it would not be much comfort to you because I have no idea what your tomorrow holds. I don't even know what's waiting for you when you get in your car and drive home. I cannot go before you. I don't know what you can handle, what you can bear, but God created you. He knows you intimately. He knows what your tomorrow holds. He knows what you can handle with temptation. And yet he has still promised in his word that his grace is and always will be sufficient. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. I'm going to read a little bit from Tozer. Another encouraging aspect of God's eternalness is that past and future do not exist for him because he lives in the eternal now. These terms are only used by creatures like us who live in the flow of time. God sits above time, dwelling in eternity, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This means that God has already lived all of our tomorrows. I can endure anything that the future brings if I know that God has already walked that path before me. And if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, I know it will be the same Jesus walking that path with me. The Bible is filled with stories that to us seem absolutely impossible to have any kind of good ending. With our temporal view, tragedy is surely inevitable. Think of the Israelites standing on the shore of the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army closing in behind them. Think of Abraham putting his son Isaac on an altar and raising his hand, holding a knife. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown in the fiery furnace. Daniel in the lion's den. 
Jonah being swallowed by a massive fish, Queen Esther's entire saga. And yet, in all of those, God had already predetermined and knew the outcome to save his people. God can make a way when there seems to be no way, and he knows what that way will be because he's already lived it. Again, the question before us that we each must answer, will we trust the eternal God with our unknown tomorrow because it's known to him? Since God is eternal and therefore not bound by time, he acts exactly when he wants to. So another implication for us is that his timing is always perfect. Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It was the perfect time for Jesus. Revelation 13.8, Jesus who was slain from the foundation of the world. Tozer explains it this way, how could he be slain from the foundation of the world? When God laid the heaven and the earth and caused the grass to be upon the hills and trees to be upon the mountains, when God made the birds to fly in the air and fish to swim in the sea, God had already in his heart lived Calvary and the resurrection and the glory and the crown. He is eternal. He is above time. He is outside of time. He has no beginning he has no end. Ecclesiastes 3.11, the first half of that verse says, He has made everything appropriate in its time. That's the New American Standard word, appropriate. ESV says beautiful. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Again, reading from Tozer. On the other hand, Tozer reminds us that we are subject to time, even if our God is not. So we must learn to number our days. This is why we can learn so much from the life of Christ. As both God and man, he lived with both eternal and temporal perspectives. Which one ruled his heart? Though he walked the roads of Israel in time and space, he never seemed to be in a rush or a panic. He was living by his father's agenda. We panic and sometimes pray as if God has to panic along with us. But God doesn't look at the clock. He does things when he chooses, and it's always just the right time. Finally, one other implication. Because God is eternal, we have hope in our eternal life with him, our everlasting life. The second part of Ecclesiastes 3.11 says he has also set eternity in their heart yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. So what does that mean, he set eternity in their heart? I think it means that we desire more. We long for more than this earthly life can offer. I'm going to read some lines from three popular um, contemporary Christian songs. Well, they were popular a few years ago, but anyway, um, that speaks to this eternity in our hearts and that desire knowing that there's something beyond this life. Not where I belong by building 429. All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. 
So when the walls come falling down on me, and when I'm lost in the current of a raging sea, I have this blessed assurance holding me. All I know is I'm not home yet. And blessings by Laura Story. When darkness seems to win, we know that pain reminds this heart that this is not our home. What is my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy. He has placed eternity in our hearts. And then Chris Tomlin's song, Home. There's a better place waiting for me in heaven. I don't know why, but this song makes me cry. I'm going home where the streets are golden. Every chain is broken. Oh, I want to go. Oh, I want to go home where every fear is gone. I'm in your open arms where I belong. Home on the shores of eternity. C.S. Lewis stated, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. In other words, God has placed eternity in our hearts. And only God, who himself is eternal, can fill that longing of eternity in our heart. Tozer said, the good news is we can be satisfied in God. Only he who is from everlasting to everlasting can fill that longing. There are so many verses about eternal life in the Bible. Um, God knew that we desired that. You all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will never die but have eternal life. And then John eleven twenty five through 26, when Martha is kind of pleading with Jesus, it's after her brother Lazarus has died. And she's saying, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus comforts her by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Many, many years ago, my grandparents came to visit me for the weekend. I was living in South Jersey at the time. And um, they had been with me for several days, and it was the night before they were going to be leaving the next morning. And I walked into the living room, and my grandpa was singing this song. I didn't know the song. I'd never heard it before, and I don't remember the exact words. But he kind of was singing over and over again about, I want to go home. I can't wait to go home. Looking forward to going home, that type of thing. And so I said to him, oh, Grandpa, I understand. It doesn't matter, you know, how great your vacation was or how much you enjoy being here. It's always good to get home, isn't it? And he just looked at me, and he said, oh, Julie, that's not the home I'm talking about. He had eternity in his heart. Ladies, it might be a little hard to grasp this entire concept of eternal. Be grateful that we are loved and redeemed by a God who is eternal and lives outside of time. And he has set eternity in our hearts. Realize this earth is not your permanent home. You were created for so much more, and you will live eternally with your loving Father in the home he is preparing just for you. But in the meantime, he does want us here on earth. And even when you feel like you are just struggling to get through this chaotic corn maze 
and nothing looks logic to you. We can trust the eternal and everlasting loving God to carry us through all of our tomorrows, unknown to us, but already completely seen by him. And throughout this journey, we dwell under his everlasting arms. Let me pray. Oh, eternal Father God, you are from everlasting to everlasting. You know perfectly all of our tomorrows, and yet you have promised to never leave us, to never forsake us, that we will always dwell in your everlasting arms. You dwell in eternity, and yet you dwell among us. Your spirit dwells within us. Father God, we are so grateful, so grateful for your love. When we are lost looking up at the chaotic tapestry or the confusing maze, may we just cry out to you, God, and trust you that you have lived our tomorrows, that you are going before us, that you will guide us because you carry us in your arms. We thank you, God. We love you, God. We look forward to one day dwelling in eternity with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.